Hey, lean professionals, see how your compensation stacks up with your peers in the latest report from Styles Associates. The premier firm for lean recruiting has compiled data from dozens of 2023 placements, including job title, client industry, location, and first year salary plus bonus. To download this free report, go to leanexecs.com. Thanks for listening. Did you know I can help your organization on this journey of cultivating a culture of learning and innovation? I can be a trainer, coach, and advisor on topics including psychological safety, problem solving, and continuous improvement. I can add value to your management team meetings by speaking and facilitating discussions on these important topics. To learn more, visit markgraben.com or email me, mark at markgraben.com. Let's improve together. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 496 of the podcast. It's January 17th, 2024. Our guest today is Randy Carr, the CEO of World Emblem. Today, we are discussing nearshoring or the approach uh, for bringing production back closer to U.S. customers. We're going to talk about his company's lean journey and his role in leading it. Um, so you're going to learn more about Randy in a minute. We're going to have a great conversation here over the hour. Um, to learn more, to find links uh, to, to Randy's company and more, look in the show notes or go to leanblog.org slash 496. Our guest today is Randy Carr. He's the CEO of the South Florida-based company World Emblem. They're one of the largest embroidery companies in the world with plants in the U.S. and Mexico. Since 1993, this family-owned business has been the go-to for emblems and patches for sports headwear, footwear, sports garments, and other apparel with an output of more than 100 million products a year. So, Randy, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, I think it's such a great opportunity here today to explore your lean journey, you know, uh, personally as a CEO and as a company to talk about nearshoring, talk about a lot of uh, important issues here. And, you know, we had agreed, at least roughly speaking, we we're going to try to structure the conversation a little bit like an A3. So, you know, Randy, let, let's start, you know, in the upper left corner, you know, kind of tell us some of the background of World Emblem. Like what was some of the situation and some of the need for change a couple of years ago? Um, well, I think that we're really just grounded in kind of two parts. Um, the, fir- the first one was really coming out of COVID, but even before that. So I'll just go like before COVID. Um, we, we, we really didn't have good cost control. That was the number one thing. We weren't really improving the business as well as we needed to in order to be competitive. Uh, we were having delivery issues. Things were super inconsistent. Um, so we'd be a hundred percent on time one day and the next day we'd be 50%. So there was a lot of uh, ebbs and flows in the business that we just weren't able to keep up with. Um, lean wasn't the answer at that time. I mean, it probably would have answered the question had I asked the right question and kind of gone down that path, but it was really not having the right management system in the business. And I don't mean like ERP. I mean, the management system to, to like lean uh, to, operate the business across all of our locations and all the facilities. And then the second part of 
your question or the second part, the second answer to it was just coming out of COVID. Um, I think we sort of knew and it was fairly obvious coming out of COVID that there was going to be, there was going to be um, the need to staff, uh, the need to staff, the need to get more people. And we were going to need to pay more. And we knew that price increases weren't going to be enough in order for us to chase uh, the, chase the, 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 their requirements to pay our staff more, the inflationary requirements that were going on all over the place, which was, wasn't was just labor, but labor was the biggest factor for us. So um, we needed to get more out of what we had. I had a good friend um, that uh, in my YPO forum, and he has been on me, and my COO has been on me um, about using lean as sort of his secret weapon, he calls it. Um, so he introduced me to uh, a turnaround firm that does lean implementations for private equity. And we ended up hiring them. Um, and we just, it was like the best thing we, we, we ever did. Um, we've, we found immediate, immediate answers to a lot of the problems that I, even before COVID. And now it's sort of grounding us for what's to come. Hmm. So going back to pre COVID, it sounds like if I, if I hear you right, lean wasn't, part of the consideration of what the answers, what the countermeasures could have been. But if you had learned about it er earlier, you, you, you could have tapped into lean earlier, it seems. I'd like to think on that sort of enlightened. Um, you know, sometimes you need a kick in the face. I mean, COVID was more than just a kick in the face, but I think, you know, it was, so, it was just the obvious response to, to needing to get more um, out of less. And, you know, that was, that was it. But no, going into going into COVID, I would say we had a lot of more operational issues and service related issues. What we weren't looking at was um, was the management system for the business. We were looking at stuff like um, uh, technical debt on the IT department was a big topic around here, or a better sales force was like the topic, and those were those were the topics. But the reality is, what we had to do was chase. Uh, we had to look internally. And what we were doing as a management team to resolve the issues. And, and, and it's always tempting to go looking for solutions, even if we're sort of jumping to solutions instead of kind of looking back at the current state or even what you described as a management system. And we, would, would you say before the introduction of Lean, was, was there a consistent system per se, or was there just a lot of management happening? You know? We had operational, we had KPIs and ways to measure things, but we didn't have a system that was top to bottom, like, you know, Lean's cliche, like what we call the world level management system now, but it is, you know, we've renamed our Lean journey to world level management system. So I'll just, I'll use that term interchangeably today, but uh, no, we didn't have a system that really changed the DNA of our staff. We had measuring KPIs, paying for the measurement on the KPIs, but we really weren't changing the culture of the business or just the DNA of the company. So, uh, you know, when we, just to give you a parallel, when we called our consultants in, you know, they gave shock treatment to the business. So they came in and shocked everyone in the organization and we got the margin we wanted. We got the results of the spend. Um, and when they started to pull out, it just started to backslide. So we never changed the DNA. We were kind of going back into, 
back to where we were prior to COVID. So we, again, we had to change course. So the answer is we had systems and we had management systems and we had operating systems, but we never changed the actual business or the DNA of the company. So we weren't getting the long-term health results we needed to get. We were going to the gym, but we weren't eating right. So we weren't creating the right habits uh, in order to make a well-rounded problem-solving machine. So then your friend from the YPO forum, do you, do you remember how that friend kind of initially pitched you to say, hey, hey, Randy, here's some stuff you need to learn about? Did he, yeah, yeah, did he have sure. to be a little persistent with you? Or? Yeah, it's real. No, he didn't. No, he didn't have to be ultimately persistent, but I did have to be prepared to spend the money on the consultants. Um, and it was a seven figure check. So like we had to have, it was a leap of faith to know that, you know, we're going to drop a million or $2 million and we're going to get that money back. Um, but the, the, the short answer is we did a forum retreat. Um, he's in my forum. We did a forum retreat. Um, am I okay to say his name here or no? Yeah, it's up to you. Yeah. So it's, it's Andrew Koenig, this company, City Furniture. It's a billion dollar uh, furniture manufacturer in South Florida. And he's awesome. Like he's the boss. So anyways, um, we did a forum retreat in, in, in Mexico and, you know, I was all hyped up and proud and he, he, he went down there and, you know, he was complimentary of our facility and everything else. But, you know, he then says to me, you got to look at this. And I had heard of it before. And, you know, I had read Paul Aker's book on the, the 60 second lean, or I, I think that's the name of it, but two, two second lean. Yeah. Two second lean. Yeah. So, but I had read his book and I had been toward, I toured Nissan and some of these factories. So I had been familiar, um, but he sort of hit me with it. And I was like, yeah, but we're doing this. So we're, we're just as smart. Whatever we're doing is really good. Then I toured his factory. Then I toured his facilities. Um, and I was embarrassed. Mm. Then COVID. Why, and why, why is that time? Um, what, what, what did you see as the differences or the opportunity for you? Yeah, what, I, what I saw was alignment. I mean, I saw, for, number one, I saw like he had his war room set up and the, all the visual tools were there. And then I went around and I saw the sort of visual tools all throughout the organization and all of them rolled up to what he was doing in the war room. And it like, that kind of hit me. And I, I'd say that was probably a year before COVID. So, um, and the retreat was probably two years before COVID. So, um, and you know, that it was just layering. And, you know, at some point, like I said, the, the impetus, the real impetus was COVID where we, we just had to do, we just had to do something. Yeah. New reality of um, challenges finding workers. Yeah. Yeah. It was challenge finding workers. And it was also like, we had to give big increases and like, how are we going to keep our margin consistent with giving big increases? I mean, obviously price increases were, were there, but they're not 20%. Like, so, I mean, that's, so, so that spread, we had to make the spread up. We knew there were inefficiencies in the business. The question was just, you know, where, where, how do you even start? It's daunting with a thousand people. Mm-hmm. So I come back to the, the the getting started, but maybe exploring, you know, um, there's that possible countermeasure, if you will. And companies, I mean, we we I think as customers, we're all subject to this. We get the email, we get the the letter that says something like, you know, do to wages, due to gas prices, yeah. due to whatever. They'll say what? We're forced. We have no choice but to raise prices. And I always read those. And I kind of think, well, BS. Like it, 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 there, there are options. There's a choice. You know, going back to like Toyota lean literature, they would they'll always emphasize that you're not entitled to raise your prices if 
costs are coming up in this one area. You've got to figure out how to reduce them in another area. It seems like you you really were pursuing that more Toyota type thinking. We've got to take other costs out, right? I think it was a combination of both, to be fair. I mean, I, I mean, inflation is a reality. So, um, but, uh, you know, when we, when we do now get merit increases or comp increases, um, we need to find those increases in the business. So we're just not arbitrarily saying, let's give a 3% raise across the board to everybody. Like when we budget for that, we forecast for that. We're also going back and saying, we need to find 3% in the business. But again, like we're on year three of this kind of lifelong journey of being a lean running a lean type organization like Toyota or one or life city. Um, you know, we certainly are probably like, like a three-year-old child in our thinking about this entire process. Um, except there's a thousand of us. Like I think the real, the power of this thing is getting everybody thinking like that all thousand, 1100 people in the business and all operating under the same beliefs. Um, but to answer your question, yes, we did approach it both ways. Yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, you price to what the market will bear. And I think, you know, look, the market may be accepting of price increases to a point, but I think that's different than viewing it. Like sometimes you get a sense of entitlement of like, well, we're, we're going to raise our prices and of course people will pay it, which might be true until they find alternatives. Until until they don't, until they don't, right. Or, or another product comes out or something else. And I think like, in our mindset, at least as, as far as pricing is concerned, the better, and this has been true with our lean journey. So it's not like, but the better we service our customers, the more they're willing to pay also. Sure. So regardless of the price, I mean, what we do is pretty unique. I mean, you know, we're, we're, there are days, it's not every day that we'll do eight, 900,000 pieces in one day. We'll ship half the order same day and we have one piece minimums. So what we do is low, it's a low price product with a low margin. Um, it's very, very fast and, and it's complicated. So um, uh, for us to get the margin, it takes a lot of combination of people and technical work and everything else. So, um, and and the, the, the degree of accuracy that people expect is pretty high. So, um, you know, for us to be what I would say elite, you know, customers are willing to pay two or 3% more if we're 3% more than the nearest competitor, if they know our stuff's going to show up the next day and they don't have to worry about it not showing up. And then you dovetail that with very high quality and dovetail that with sort of an elite customer experience via e-commerce API. And that's kind of our recipes for success. Mm-hmm. And it seems like even before lean, you know, Randy, you're, you're thinking about your business a little bit more systemically than just looking at cost and price. You know, you're looking at, and you, you may have been taught the same act, the same letters here of uh, SQDC, safety, quality, delivery, cost of, of all of these things going hand in hand. And it seemed like you, you were already maybe uh, like thinking about those interconnections. I was, but I would, like in full transparency, it was always delivery and cost. And, you know, quality was an afterthought, kind of, not really, but kind of. Safety was an afterthought, not really, but kind of, only would have translated to workers' comp. And it never really 
sort of the umbrella of kind of all of it. Um, and looking at it, you know, again, the, the, you know, getting a new HR director in here the last couple of years, she's, she hit me pretty hard on that one and said like getting the turnover now is going to, you know, having those kind of, it's not like we were having injuries cause that wasn't the issue. We're not, we're not construction, but, um, but just calling that number out on all levels and even something as simple as the a dirty kitchen, you know, it's not like, uh, but just calling those things out makes a better work environment, reduces turnover, makes a better, healthier uh, staff. It's just stuff we don't have to think about. Um, and to be fair, like I'm an owner operator, you know, I started with three people. So like, you know, my mentality is, oh, something's busted, go to the machine, try to fix it yourself. And that just, so like, it's been, it, we went through very gritty times and I'm, I'm sort of used to that. So for me, it's, you know, get on the machine, get the order out. Like that's kind of all I'm thinking about. So, um, but yeah, on the SQDC version, just looking at it now and looking at it every day, it's just much more, much more aware of it than I was at the time. Yeah. yeah. And then there's um, the M for, you know, morale that often gets tacked on because, you know, the, the, as I learned it almost 30 years ago, SQDC, it was in that order. Morale may have been, been a little bit more unstated directly. And then I think people like, well, morale is important too. And it's put at the end, not because it's the least important thing. I mean, it's probably one of these things that helps drive quality delivery and cost. Maybe it should be SMQDC. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, so it's, it goes back to the culture. And, and, and so, um, well, yeah, we're talking about a thousand people, thinking this way, I do want to come back to that um, a little bit later, but as, as you were exploring, it seems like kind of the current state and your performance gaps, what are we going to do about it? There was this decision point, as, as you described it, seven figure leap of faith to hire consultants. That's a big leap. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you don't mind sharing a little bit of you know, the thought process around you know, starting with baby steps, reading Paul Akers' book. Let, let's just start doing a lot of two-second lean or, you know, a lot of times companies say, well, we're going to try to do it ourselves. So what, I'm, I'm just curious if you don't mind. Exploring yeah, of course. I, I, it's, it's not going to be anything that's going to be too brilliant. <laughs> the, rea the reality is um, I read Paul Akers' book 10 years ago because I saw him at a, uh, a Vern Arnish talk in Orlando. And I was like, this guy's awesome. Uh, you know, I read his book, put the book down and forgot about it. Oh, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, cause I picked the next book up and the next book. So it's like one of those things. So um, it, it, it's nothing more than what I said before. The, the reality is we knew coming out of COVID, like the pie was going to be bigger and we were going to get busy and we just, we had to do something different. And if we did the same stuff we always did, we got the same results, which would have been 60% on time performance. And, uh, uh, an increase an increase of cost of 10 points and we just wouldn't make any money. And maybe at this point in time, you and I wouldn't even be talking. So, uh, you know, it was just, we knew we had to do something and like, this is the track we took. Uh, the ROI was pretty straightforward when the consultants came in and looked at stuff and put on paper, Hey, like, this is what we think we can get you. And, um, the one firm we ended up hiring, uh, which was uh, TDM, um, their uh, their analysis was 
pretty clear and I'd been around the business forever. So it was like, yeah, that's probably just about right. Um, so, uh, you know, the ROI was there. It wasn't much more than what I paid. Um, but on year two, uh, that's gravy. Right. And now you are sustaining and continuing to improve. Look, you know, it's nothing's linear. So, um, you know, again, it was like the paddles and shock the business. Um, uh, and it was, it was shock and, uh, uh, you know, it was one constant after another. And that's kind of all we knew at the time, but there was no problem solving or none of that. Um, you know, then we went to the UK route, which was university of Kentucky called them in, and they hit us from the top down. And that was what, that's where the sustainment starts. Like go into the DNA, go into the culture, um, one voice leadership, roles or responsibilities, problem solving from the bottom up. Um, yeah, Kaifins are awesome too, but I think it all kind of works together. Um, and that was kind of the, the, the second break point where it was, uh, you know, doing the Kaisins, getting the money out, taking that money and reinvesting it in the training from the top down and go deep into the DNA of the business and really start changing the way everybody operates and thinks about everything. And like, you know, imagine how powerful it is to have a thousand people solving a problem a day. Like that's a, the, the power behind that is unbelievable. Now we're not close to that. We probably have eight people solving problems every day. Mm, okay. So there's still a gap to work on. The gap is huge, which is awesome because um, all that's opportunity and margin and opportunity for our customers to benefit and opportunity for our staff to benefit and growth for the business. And um, so it's just, um, thank God we have those, those, those gaps. Yeah. For those of you who thrive on groundbreaking ideas and bold visions, check out the optimistic outlook hosted by Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA. This podcast is a hub for those who are passionate about transformative concepts that shape both our workplaces and our world. Barbara's discussions center around not just incremental changes, but also major leaps in innovation and strategy. Find the optimistic outlook with Barbara Humpton on your favorite podcast platform. And so, you know, it sounds like you you have the, uh, maybe there's a parallel between reading a book about fitness of which Paul has written a, you know, a book called Lean Health, reading a book versus having a trainer who can kind of help uh, kick in the butt, make sure you're, you're taking action, give you feedback. There's, there's, there's value the, in that, right? I use the trainer parallel to my staff. And I said, like, our lean journey has been the equivalent of hiring a trainer. And then you fire the trainer and you stop going to the gym. That was my example. It's exactly the same example I used to my staff. And I was like, we, yeah, we hired a trainer. We did 90 days of workouts. He leaves and we go back to skipping a day or skipping two days and eating bad. And it's, I mean, you know, a healthy lifestyle is just that. There's a balance of all these things. And this is the same. It's exactly the same thing. Um, you know, reading the book is only, is like the kindling, the 1%. I mean, look, the book was great and I saw him speak and he was great and everything he said was right. But to try to do it yourself to me, was just, there's just no way. Um, the, I mean, the, the, you know, you can do some things yourself, clean your desk up, which is obvious, but like, you know, to implement SQDC boards and tier one boards and tier two boards and to run an elite business 
at the, at the, at the pace we're trying to run um, and serving the kind of clients where we, we have to serve. Um, there, there just wasn't a 20 year room for 20 years of failure. Like we had to get things straight. We had to do it quick. And again, you came out of COVID and everybody came out like a cannon. Um, you know, it was only till this year things started to drop off and things had, people had to do a reset. And the reset was more on sales and marketing. Um, and we had the same issue. We came into 23 thinking we're going to be like gangbusters and all of a sudden things started to drop off. I think when everybody else is in February or March. And we just said, all right, let's take these lean principles and let's start moving them into sales and marketing. And we did that. So I brought TDM back in and I brought them into my sales and marketing department. We started doing value stream mapping. And um, so it's not just production. It's every single piece of the business can be optimized. Right. So, but, I mean, I, I appreciate how, you know, Randy, you're framing all of this, not in terms of, well, here are the tools and I want to go and implement. Because there, there's a lot of workplaces, people get started with lean, cleaning up the desk using lean tools and maybe kind of a superficial or trivial way where I appreciate your motivation was around. We've got these business challenges and opportunities to solve what, 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 what where, you know, focusing on that seems so much more powerful than say, well, we trained a thousand people in tools and we have them all go use the tools. Like aiming for that me, alignment is, is so much better. Don't get me wrong. I did that too. I okay. didn't do that. Not with this, but not with this, not with right. this. Right. There are, in this one, we went all in. And, you know, I've had people ask me, like, you know, on referral calls, like, we're just going to do one department and we're going to see how it goes. And I was like, you know, for me, it was like, you know, 48 laws of power and Cortez and the whole deal is burn the ships. And for me, it was like, not that I'm burning the ships, but I'm going to spend enough that we're going to get it right. And I knew it was going to work. So it wasn't like there was never a question of whether the money was there, like meaning the margin. Like I knew I knew the gross was there just from being around the business forever. So I wasn't concerned. I knew what the ROI was. Um, so it was like, we're either going to do it or we're not. But we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it 20% and see how it goes. Like it's a, you know, and I didn't know the whole DNA thing either. Like that, none of that hit me. You know, I've read um, uh, the Toyota Way and the Toyota production system. Um, uh, was it changing the change? I feel like it's changing the world, but I have the book name wrong. Um, but, but Taichi Ono, I've read a lot of these books at this point. I read some of them more than once. Um, but I was never under the belief that I didn't, it didn't, again, the DNA thing didn't hit me until UK. And even when I went to UK, um, the DNA thing still didn't hit me until I hired him as a coach and I sat through LELI. And I sent people to leadership conferences. And it's really just a question. It's not a question of spending the money. It's just a question of going to the gym every day and dieting right every day and meditating for 10 minutes every day. And like, you know, it's, it's one thing to discipline yourself. It's another to discipline a thousand people in the same methodology. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, these different approaches fit together where some of these approaches might be, um, helpful, but not fully sufficient, you know, training lots of people in some tools, doing a lot of Kaizen events, um, right. you know, that, that, you know, these, these different strategies can, can, can fit together. And it, it sounds like the, the UK, is it fair to say working with UK, did that help create a more coherent future state vision of 
a management system and a company culture that doing a bunch of events maybe couldn't deliver? It did exactly that. Like, and again, like it did that. And I happen to have a very good COO and I have a good CI guy. Um, and, you know, we collectively said, this is the way we're doing business. So we, the other thing is we were real clear, like not whatever they say goes, but whatever they say goes, like, you know, it wasn't, yeah, it was like, this is what's happening. Like this is, this is happening. You're either on board or, you know, maybe there's a better place, another place to work for you. Um, and, you know, I didn't quite have to speak it like that because I didn't have to, uh, but I, you know, we didn't lose anybody and everybody's on board and there are some people that are further behind than others in their development um, for whatever reason. Um, but again, like got to change the house of people's mindsets, got to change their DNA and, um, we expect it to take time and there's a lot of learning and we're still learning like so much. Yeah. Cause uh, I was going to ask you when you talked about the shock of getting started, sometimes that shock leads to people saying, well, I'm going to get off this bus and you're oh, saying, yeah. no, you, it, there may, you didn't lose anybody. Like, no, I'm this, this is not for me. I'm leaving. Or, Look, I didn't lose anybody on my leadership team. Um, we, some people might've left or sort of, find new jobs and maybe it's because of COVID or whatever. I, I don't know. Like, but I can tell you that we, we hit the shock super hard. It wasn't in light. Like we hit it as hard as we could and as fast as we could. Um, and we did it in three locations at once. Um, and again, it was coming out of COVID. So we knew like we had to do stuff right away. It wasn't like, and we did put the pressure of, there was the pressure of, um, and I don't want to say like the fear of, this, this, and this, but it was, there was the immediate pressure that we knew we had to get a lot quick because we knew there was going to be a surge in event. And, you know, obviously looking backwards, there was. So I think part of the story that we'll, we'll, we'll we're not done talking lean, of course, and, and some of this is interconnected, but I'd like to talk more about what your current state had been and what your thoughts were around manufacturing locations overseas versus local or near shored. Can you, can you talk about kind of that aspect of your business and how you started thinking through that? I mean, again, it's nothing that's going to be earth shattering, but uh, um, you know, we just to give you some historical context for 30 seconds, um, the business, you know, my brother and I grew up around my dad's business and he had an embroidery business in New Jersey and it was relatively successful and in 1988, it went under. And he moved the business to Medley, Florida. And the three of us restarted the company in 1990. Um, the company had grown to a couple million dollars. And in 2000, he passed away. Um, and then a couple years later, we ended up picking up a sizable contract. And at the time, we had moved to North Miami. Um, and we were running three shifts. And we ended up having some problems with the city. Because across the street from us was a residential zone. Um NAFTA had been passed and I went to the city and asked for some help with rezoning and they told me no. So um, I knew a guy that knew a guy and I met my managing director in Mexico city in 2005. Um, and, and it was like one of the things that, that, you know, changed my life. Like there's people that hate your life. This guy changed my life. He's still with me. And, you know, I'd give him a suitcase of a hundred million dollars and I'd get back a hundred million dollars. He's that guy. Like, and you it's not just financial trust. You know, I'm giving my kids, I'm going to get my kids, like, I would trust them with anything. So 
Like, thank God he came into my life. But um, so anyways, uh, it, it was after NAFTA was passed and we were really, it, the, the, the play was to arbitrage design work. It wasn't anything more than that. Um, we weren't really trying to build um, an offshore manufacturing facility to make emblems or compete with China or any of that. It wasn't just not, you know, looking at the world like that wasn't in my, it wasn't in my worldview at the time. Um, but it wasn't his. And I listened to what he said. Um, and we gradually moved certain production lines overseas. And at this point, we have a half million square feet there and close to um, half million in the States. Um, and the, Mexi the, the, the operation of the Quiladora in Mexico is really um, uh, a, standalone, a standalone business that runs independently and supports the U.S. business. So the, the answer to your question, the answer, there was a long-winded answer, but the answer to the question that we see at this point is um, we use nearshore labor where it makes sense, um, but our whole business is grounded on turning stuff very, very fast. So um, the, the, the things that we do in, in our facility in Mexico are the things we can do uh, in, that we have to do that aren't required to be done in 12 hours. So everything we do in the States um, is a result of that thinking. So there, there are some other things like people send us headwear or garments and they want us to brand them with our products, in which case we don't send those to Mexico. We'll do them in the States and we have some software and systems to do that as well. Um, but apart from that, the other, the thinking is straight what I told you, which is everything that has to be done the same day is done in the States. Everything else goes down to Mexico. And I would tell you like, uh, there are other things we do in that facility also, like tech development. Um, we have a marketing team, a service team, a sales team, a finance group. So, and because of that, the business has grown together. And and so I guess it's a matter of looking at kind of balancing cost, quality, delivery of doing something local. It's faster. It's going to cost more, but for that application, it's okay. In our, in our in our worldview, yes. In our worldview, yes. Um, I, there, there's I would say there's no difference in quality of person between the states and what I've seen in 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 in, in, in any country, but in particular, my experience has been in Mexico. Um, but for us, everything's about speed. Our whole business is built on doing custom stuff, same or next day. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're saying the quality of the product also is comparable. It all comes down to process. I mean, it's not that, you know, I mean, obviously the people have a huge input in that, but it's about the chain. It's about training the right person on the right process to get the right output. Um, you know, if they're, if they're, if they fit our core values and they run our process, they'll get the, they'll get the quality. The output will be the same every time, regardless of whether it's in Mexico or, or anywhere else in the world. Okay, so let's 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 talk more about you know some of the the different elements of of lean and a management system. And I know for you that includes in part a ocean planning process. Can you right. tell us kind of more about how that works for you and and what some of the benefits have been? Yeah, um, we have been doing consultant led planning for the last eighteen years. Um, we just did our 
I, I want to say our first, we did a Hoshin plan last year, but I would say this was our first one. Um, and uh, it was UK led. Uh, we had them come in and help us with it. Um, and it was completely different than anything else we've done. Um, I think the first thing was all the prep work that went into it. Uh, we typically would do the prep work, but wouldn't do it seriously. So we went into the room. We all were, we would spend a day fighting over what the priority was. Um, and then we would leave. Um, we would leave in silos, and that was 15 years worth of of annual planning. Um, this year, and I can only again, I only have a year, or so I don't have that much experience under my belt with it. But I can give you my, my take on it. What I found unique was the prep work, um, and then the the three annual priorities that we left with uh, were very cross-functional um, and they made everybody nervous. So everybody left uncomfortable. Um, and then that was a month ago. Next week, everyone's flying back in uh, to Fort Lauderdale where we're based uh, or Hollywood, Florida where we're based. And, um, and they have what's called a rodeo. And the rodeo is really getting locked in and aligned on everybody's 12 month plan to go back to the three-year goals. Uh, you know, we had said we were doing something like this, but we really weren't. Like, this is the first time I can remember where we have three cross-functional goals that make everybody nervous, that I'm happy with, that I haven't been involved with the, what's called Nimawashi or the back and forth between everybody. I haven't been involved with it the whole time. Now I've had, I've injected my opinion in areas of things that I'm not, that I think need to be rounded or clarified. Um, but uh, my team really did the work independently of me. Um, and I'm comfortable saying that we'll leave next week with a very good plan with measurable, uh, measurable milestones that we'll be able to do check-ins on every month. And uh, like, I'm super excited and like really motivated for next year because of it. Yeah. And when you say those uh, priorities were making everybody nervous, is that because like, were, were they, uh, were there stretch goals that, that people are yeah. nervous yeah. about reaching? Yeah. Yeah. There's there, it was a three year. So it was a three year, three year priority. And we're working on the one year plan to get us a three year priority. So um, yeah. And they were, they're all doable, which is the nice, they're not like insane. They're, they're, they're just a little bit far out, a little outside of where everyone's comfortable. So, um, and it came from the group. So it wasn't anything, no one just, I didn't come walk in there and say, we're doing this, which is what would happen three years ago. Um, you know, they would say, this is the sales goal. And I would say, no way, dude, you need another 20% on top of that. And then we'd miss the goal. All the goals from this came from the team. So it's, uh, so there's a lot of ownership from the team. And, and even from the Nemo Washi and the rodeo and when we're done with the plan, they own those plans, which is different. You know, I'm a, typically I would be inserting my opinion on everything. In this, in this case, I really didn't have to do that. All I had to do was, again, like I said, polishing edges or sanding boards. It was. And so it sounds like you're expecting, you know, be better alignment. Is it fair to say not just in terms of goals that might cascade across the company, but then also the question of like, what are we choosing to work on in terms of Kaizen events or improvements yeah. that, that maybe more aligned, more focused, 
like be- better prioritization as opposed to a lot of organizations, people are trying to do everything and therefore nothing really. That's me. That's, that's been my, that's my 20 year history. Like, yeah. uh, it's not just you. <laughs> my to-do list is like ridiculous. So yeah, the answer is, you know, we have our three, our three, uh, the three, the three priorities are cross-functional. This is stuff we're going to work on. Now there's other things that are going to happen. There's other work. But the question we keep saying that I've heard, I hear when during the conversation, isn't that your day job? Like, isn't that the reason you have a job? Like your 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 hoshin work is not why your day job. They're two different things. And the hoshin work, um, it's for breakthroughs. Like, and you know, it, 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 and at this level, that's pretty much eighty percent of their time should be working on breakthrough. And and that was the there was some change. There was some like moments during the meetings where that was like people were like whoa like you're telling me 80 percent of my time has to work on the breakthrough well how's the business going to grow it <laughs> well it's a difference between firefighting and breakthrough activities right yeah it, it, i think it you got to finish the firefighting stuff which was again like going back to what we said like 20 minutes ago was the shock therapy sustainment of the culture sustainment of the dna then go into hoshin i mean i remember 20 years ago we had a consultant come in and do annual planning for us. He goes, plan for, you guys can't plan for an hour, let alone plan for a day or a year. Like we, we're yelling and screaming at each other across the room. So like we've come a long way. Yeah. Um, you talk about allocating time. One thing we had talked about, one thing you mentioned when we talked previously, Randy, was um, allocating your time as a CEO. Like, I'm just curious if you can share perspective of like, how much time are you working on the management system, the DNA, working with customers? How, how, how do you decide the best use of your time? So the first, the, first thing, the, the first thing that I would tell you is the majority of my time should be spent with clients, customers. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Um, and I think the second, the second part of my time means accessible to my team. It doesn't mean managing my team. It just means being accessible. So, um, so 30% of my time is with clients. Like that's the number one, that's my number one rule. So, um, you know, I'll travel with my reps, um, which is mostly where that comes from. If I have to, like last week I had to go to a football, I was in a football game in Alabama and I had like, I had one of my reps meet me in, in New Orleans and I drove around with him for a couple of days through Mississippi and ended up in Tuscaloosa to see my son. Um, so I'll kind of dovetail trips, spend 30% of my time with, with my, with my, with my clients. Um, I spend 30% of my time with my team um, and I spend 30% of my time on my leadership, leadership work and then 10% for whatever I want. You know, 10% usually gets consumed with stuff that I don't want, frankly, like my calendar gets filled up and it's not always like that, Um, but somewhere in between. But I, I can tell you that the time in front of customers is the thing that matters most because I can connect through everything that happens in the business and every conversation I have um, or every conversation that I'm hearing going on in the company, I can, I can connect back to the customer's experience. And that's really the only reason we're all here and the only thing that matters. And um, that, that customer focus is probably being reinforced by the UK folks and that they're, they're former Toyota. Is that they're all former Toyota. They all are. Right. So it's not just process focus, but customer focus, customer obsession, even they're probably reemphasizing the connections there. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say that every customer is always right. Cause that's kind of not real either, but there is the focus on 
the customer experience and what is the customer receiving from the business and you know, how are we interacting with the customer, engaging from the sales side and the service side and the territory manager side and the package side and the business side and how does the invoice look? How does it hit the website? Like what is the standard work for the customer when they sit down in front of their computer and start placing orders? You know, we even go as far as looking at how does the customer interact from when they get the order feeds from their ERP, how does that connect to our ERP? Because there's a lot of waste there. So it's just like seeing all that and putting the investment to go deeper into the customer's world in order to shorten our lead times is going to have the biggest return on our investments. And it's really easy when I see it to get behind the initiatives here, other than just looking at the ROI on paper. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, and to be fair, there's a lot of stuff we don't do that's right. You know, so I'm, I was in California three weeks ago taking pictures of their computer and the product they received and sending it to my COO and saying, like, this is not right. Like, what are we doing here? And yeah, sure enough, you know, he does problem solving. He figures it out. We make an adjustment. Some of the things don't get fixed right away. Um, you know, some of the things are on the list to get fixed in a year from now. Um, you know, and, I, and we'll tell the customer, look, this is a known issue in the business and we don't really have a solution for it. We're going to do our best. But at least we're honest about the problems and we, we, we're sort of creating lists of problems that we're deciding what to work on. But I said something a while ago and I said, imagine if we had a thousand people all solving the problems rather than eight of us. And that's the power of this whole thing that I see. Well, I think the, the way you stated that, um, you know, people being able to be honest about problems, that that's a key part of a lean DNA, right? Yeah. For without question, without question. Um, and you already touched on something I, I was about to ask of, you know, kind of, we talk about wanting everybody to have, to share this DNA, to be thinking this way. That means extending lean beyond operations and manufacturing and supply chain. Yep. You're, you're bringing it into business functions and part of that view of all, well, everything is a process. Yep. Yeah. So we're not, I can give you a couple examples. Um, the one was what I said earlier, um, but I have like loads of others, but I'll just start with the one that was so obvious. Uh, you know, 2022 was like great for most businesses, but great revenue wise, not great operationally. And people struggled a lot with a lot of things, whether it's staffing or infrastructure or whatever chips. I mean, we didn't have the chips issue, but, um, but you know, staffing was a big challenge for us and, and those kinds of things. Um, uh, you, you know, you, you kind of think we kind of figured it out. We had a good year. Um, and then 2023 comes out and like looking back on it, fairly ignorant, but we should thinking about it now, we never should have think, thought 23 was going to be like 22. We should have kind of known that there would be a drop off, but whatever, either way uh, we, we forecasted and planned like things were just going to be, it was just going to keep cruising. And it just, it just didn't obviously. Um, and we didn't have the sales processes in place to to make up the slack. So we ended up having we had to reforecast twice backwards, and that's no fun. Um, and we brought in um, the the lean consultants, the original ones, um, to look at our sales and marketing processes from end to end. Um, and we sat in a room for almost a month straight um, and did one VSM after another. Um, and uh, we're still in the middle of implementing a lot of the a lot of the work they did, either technically 
um, through software solutions or manually where software didn't solve those problems. Um, uh, but yeah, we're, but we are using the measurement tools we left with and we use them every day. Uh, now again, sales and customer journeys and uh, the, 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 the customer incubation time is longer for new customers, for new products. So we expect it to roll into next year and sort of, we, you know, we, again, we had to reforecast twice, but that's okay. Yeah. Do, do you expect with a Hoshin planning process as you're going into 24, are there more frequent touch points where you might say, someone might raise the flag and say, Hey, wait a minute, the year is not starting off the way we expected. Do we reforecast? Can you adjust sooner? Uh, we changed our budgeting process quite a bit. So I know your question isn't about budgeting. Um, it's more about does some, is somebody able to raise the flag sooner anywhere in the business? I, so th- there's two answers. One, we did change our budgeting process to adjust for what happened last year. So that I don't I'm, something else will probably happen, but that same issue won't. Um, I like to think so, but I would say too soon to tell with the DNA. So obviously there's some people that will raise the flag and others that won't. The idea is to get them all to raise the flag. The real idea is to get them all to, st- to solve the problems independently without hazard- having to raise the flag at all. Right. Right. And that yeah. is like the utopia of this whole thing. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, a, it seems like the, that balance to be found of people to the front line and, and not too far above. Um, becoming better problem solvers, feeling more empowered and doing things. Not everything can raise up to your level or the COO's level, but at the same time, learning what, what, when do we escalate something? When do we need to ask for help and and not being afraid to do that is, is really key. Even if there's not a physical and on cord for someone to literally pull, it's more that question of saying, Hey, I need help. Someone coming in to say, okay, no, I think you can fix that on your own versus yeah, let me help you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the the coach from UK told me when you're asked when you're talking to your managers, that what you need to ask them is what problem are you working on to solve today? Forget any other conversation. He says the only thing you need to ask them is that. Obviously, there's other things again, but he's I know what he meant. It wasn't literal, but it's like I get on the phone with one of my leaders. It's what problem are you solving today? Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard toy to people, there's a variation of that question. I've heard it posed sometimes as, what are your top three problems that you're working on? But either way, it's just kind of try to get a sense of how are you prioritizing? Right. And you can't right. say, well, what are your top three problems? All of them, you know, well, no. <laughs> well, yeah, then nothing ever gets done. But he was been, he's been hammering me for that. And it, yeah, it's painful, but it's supposed to be. Yeah. Well, we can think back to going to the gym, like, Sometimes working out causes some pain, but it yeah. leads to benefit. Yeah. What is it? Growth comes from discomfort. Isn't that like one of the statement? So yeah. Tear those muscle fibers a little bit to yeah. uh, um, spur some growth, but um, you know, you know, start to wrap up here. Uh, Randy, you, you shared with us. Um, we didn't follow this strictly as an A3, but it's fine. But you gave us a good comparison Sorry. of no, 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 I, I'm not, no, no need to apologize. And I kind of drifted away from that a little bit too. But just to recap, I think we have touched on, even if it wasn't completely linear, um, your current condition, the business challenges, the current state action plan, and, and you've shared um, a lot of that with us. So, you know, I was going to ask 
what what's on the current action plan for the next couple of years and and how would you evaluate your progress as as you continue being a couple years into this lean journey that that still keeps going all right so the, the, i need to wait till tomorrow until next week's nemo washi session to answer that but that <laughs> okay. is that is what's Fair on enough. the action plan so right. again we have our we have our three we do have our three priorities um I think I'd, ra- I'd rather not just verbalize them, but they are. There is a combination of growth. There is a combination of growth margin and technical wins for the customer. Um, and in the in the in the growth, there's a lot of cultural. There's a lot of cultural changes. A lot of it comes down to like how do we onboard custom? How do we onboard customers and employees? Um, how do we make sure we reduce things like that? Um, and those are a lot of what's in the in the plan. Um, next week's rodeo will give me the physical action items that I need to work with. And I think my role here is to make sure that I clear out obstacles so that the team's able to work on those and they don't get distracted by other, um, uh, other, other concepts or ideas or, 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 or fruit that gets placed in front of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to, uh, no, you're good. Shortcut that process that you're going through. But you're, no, the question's legit. Right it's, oh. I mean, you know, we, we tend to growing. We have a lot of new products. Um, you know, we're a technical manufacturer. Um, you know, what we do is simple, but technically we're very strong at it. And, um, you know, we invest 9% of our revenue into technology every year, year over year over year. And I, I venture to say that not a lot of people in my space do that. Um, we have a couple patents that we're, we're going to be launching next year that we're excited about. Um, patent products. So, um, it, but I think a lot of that, the, 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 the only way any of that stuff scales is by having a management system in the business that allows it to scale. Um, so, you know, regardless of whether it's um, one of those three priorities or not, it all kind of rolls back to it. All right. Um, one, one other thing I wanted to come back to a little bit was, uh, you know, you talk about the goal of a thousand people thinking this way and working on problems versus, you know, is it a thousand yet? It's not. Is it eight? Is it something higher than that? Like, what do you think are some of the next steps in getting that number from eight to 80 to 480, just to pick numbers? Like All right. off the top of my head, um, the, I'd say the first thing is to continue to train on the, what UK calls a true lean methodology. So it's to continually invest uh, in my leadership team um, in this methodology. Then from my standpoint, it would be um, getting the values right, making sure I'm clearly communicating the core values and there's an assemblance of one that has continuous improvement in it. Getting the vision clear and clarifying, really clarifying roles and responsibilities throughout the organization so that everybody knows how they interact with the business. Um, you know, making like I typically before this exercise or before this management system, I would drop four levels below my job 95% of the time. You know, I now check myself half the time, yep. not always because that's <laughs> new habits. It's but okay. yeah. So, um, but I think that's the thing. So it's, it's to continue to train, you know, continue to do the Kaisens, like continue to do the shock treatment to the business. Um, but the reality is it comes through training and working on the DNA. And that's only going to come through changing the culture. And that comes through training. And then consistent reinforcement of, you know, one voice leadership. What are the values of the business? What are the roles and responsibilities? Well, I think, well, that's a great note um, to, to leave things on here today. So, again, we've been joined. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Randy Carr, CEO of World 
emblem. Um, you know, a real, real treat, Randy, to hear from your your business challenges and your your leadership and your focus around lean. Um, you know, thank you for giving us a glimpse into what you've been doing, how you're thinking about this, and a little bit about what's to come. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, you're very welcome. And and maybe at some point down the road, it'd be good to check back in on you. You know, you're not accountable to me in any way, but I, I would just, even if it's a shorter conversation to, to get an update would be great. It's all good. I'm always here. You're always welcome to reach out. And if I'm down in, in your part of Florida, maybe I can um, come see things firsthand. Here, Alaska, Mexico, Houston, Atlanta, anywhere, anywhere we have a facility or, or anywhere in general, actually, just feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks a lot, Randy. Really appreciate it. Mark, thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm excited to announce the release of the audiobook version of my new book, The Mistakes That Make Us, Cultivating a Culture of Learning and Innovation. Listen and dive into powerful insights on fostering growth through mistakes. Whether you're a leader, entrepreneur, or just trying to get better at learning from mistakes, this audiobook is for you. Get it now on Audible, Amazon, and Apple Books. Visit mistakesbook.com for more info.